We're going to take a minute to pray now as a congregation. And, and this is really a time for you to join with me quietly as I pray. This isn't a, a kind of um, pray for show. This is so that we can pray together. Um, and I, I want to pick up with the theme we were talking about earlier with the, the baby bottles and the opportunities that we have to support uh, local work that's going on, particularly as regards to life. We have a, a ministry that's still new to us. It began uh, almost a year ago, maybe uh, eight months ago, called Brace. And uh, this is our ministry to support, to brace uh, needy families in our community, particularly aiming at kids. Um, we've been able to partner a bit with the foster care system, and uh, that enables us to be able to support families that just need support before foster care even comes in, before the kids are taken out of the house. Maybe, maybe we can keep it so that doesn't happen. Uh, and so Brace does that. Brace also helps uh, families which are fostering kids. Um, and over the past uh, month or so, we've had the opportunity to do that. Uh, there's a couple foster families that had some significant needs, um, the details of which are a little muddled, and Lee could correct me on them. Uh, but, I, but I know that one of them was open to, you know, being a foster family, found out they were going to have twins, um, and so needed some extra things kind of right away. Can somebody help us so that we can be ready for this? And we were able to provide for some of those needs. I'm really grateful for this ministry, for all of those involved. Recently, Lee Ingram, um, as our deacon of benevolence, took over kind of point on this ministry um, if it's something that you would like to serve or participate in, um, please talk to Lee. Um, I see this as a, as a neat opportunity for us as a church to, to grow into this and expand the way that we're able to impact the community around us, particularly in the places of vulnerability and need. Um, we also have a benevolence fund uh, that we uh, use to support these kind of things. So if you want to be able to give money directly to this, put benevolence fund as the subject of your check, and all those dollars go directly towards brace and other benevolence types, types of needs uh, that we're seeking to meet in the community. Um, but I thought we could pray for Lee and for the whole team, uh, that the Lord would continue to open doors uh, and, and help us to be faithful as a witness to Christ here in our community. So let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, we are grateful that you would call us to yourself out of our sin and misery and brokenness, and then call us to minister in your name to others. That's a privilege, Lord. We're grateful. We're grateful that we can do this together as a church. Well, thank you for uh, Lee and his leadership of this ministry. Thank you for all of those who have been laboring behind the scenes, the team leaders and those that are on the teams. Um, Lord, I pray that you would expand this ministry, that you would continue to open doors into our community where there are particular needs. Lord, you said you are the father to the fatherless, the protector and defender of widows. So Lord, I pray that you would enable us to be your hands and feet in some more of those uh, situations and give us what we need to minister in your name, whether it's material 
things that we're giving or words of encouragement or even at times being able to share Christ with those that don't know him. Or may we be spirit empowered as we do this. Um, Continue to give us a heart for the lost and for the hurting uh, in our community, even as you have that heart for them as well. So Lord, we pray for open doors. We pray for opportunities. We pray for your grace. And we pray that your name would be exalted, that you would be known and made known throughout Spotsylvania in places of great need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew 25. So the other day, I overheard a conversation. This was a conversation between our five-year-old Gideon, who just went running down the aisle, and one of our older kids. And as I overheard it, it went like this. Guess what? What? Only four more sleeps until field day. Field day is this big end-of-the-year thing that they do for the elementary school students at our kids' school. They've obviously been drumming it up. They've obviously been telling him all about it. And let me tell you, he is stoked. Four more sleeps. It's been a while since you thought in those terms, isn't it? Four more sleeps. And, oh, and I need to wear this. And I need to bring this and this and this. Come field day, that boy is going to be well prepared. He's crawling out of his skin. And I believe if I'm tracking everything correctly, there is now at this point only one more sleep until field day. How many more sleeps do we have until our Lord's return? How many more sleeps until that day of days? What a day that's going to be, friends. What a day. The day is coming when our Lord will return. I'm not about to tell you how many sleeps, because we don't know, and we can't know, but we do know that He is returning. We do know that He will come again, and we will enjoy His presence and celebrate His work and declare His victory and live with Him for all time. That's going to be a good field day on that day end of the school year celebration that we're going to get to have on that day. The question is, will you be prepared? Will we be prepared for that day? Gideon knows how to be prepared for his field day that's coming up. He knows what to bring and he knows what to wear. Do you know how to be prepared for the coming of our Lord, for his return? What does it mean to get prepared, to be prepared, to live prepared? Well, that's the question that Jesus is answering in the parable before us this morning. He has been teaching us about his return ever since the kind of the middle of chapter 24, and he's, he's giving a series of parables. And this is the third parable in that series where he's answering the question, what does it look like for the disciple for the believer, for the Christian, to be prepared. It's called the parable of the talents. And it begins in verse 14 of Matthew 25. So follow along with me as I read this. 
Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of heaven in those days. He says this. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had received the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God's word. The parable ends with a strong exhortation to be prepared. A warning of what it looks like to not be prepared. But let's not start at the end. Let's start at the beginning. I'm going to kind of walk through this together. I'll give you some points just so you can kind of follow along. We'll start with... Number one, the giving, the giving. So the parable, right, is of a master, uh, a homeowner, a landowner, who gives talents to his servants. He entrusts to them his own property. One was given five, another two, another one, each according to their ability. Now, a talent was a unit of uh, currency in the ancient Near East. Right? So you could say dollar, and you'd be, that would make more sense in terms of us understanding it directly. He gave dollars to them. He gave this unit of currency. So um, you might have heard of, say, like the denarius. That's a, that's a unit of currency back then. A denarius was worth about a day's wages. So, you know, you go work for a day, you get paid a denarius. A talent was worth a little more than that. 
a talent would be approximately what someone would earn in half a lifetime of labor. Now, I don't know what the average American makes or what the average American lifetime of work looks like, but take that in half of everything that the average American would make, and we're talking the multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? 700,000, 800,000, maybe a million dollars in half a lifetime. Let's just round it to a million, all right? So when you see talent, think a million dollars, all right? In other words, this is no small thing that the master is giving to these servants. And to one, he gave five of them. So $5 million for this one to work with. Of course, in the parable, the master is Jesus, right? And we are his servants. We're the ones that he distributes these uh, talents to. And when I say we, I actually mean all of humanity, as this is pictured here. It's not only talking about believers, clearly not. At the end, there's believer and unbeliever that are shown with two very different outcomes uh, to their life at the end, which basically means Christ is our Lord, whether we acknowledge him as so or not. He is Lord over all. As far as the east from the west, he is Lord over all of it. And he is the giver of these talents. Now, what are these talents? Well, talents are are gifts that the Lord gives to his people. So gifting like musical gifting or artistic gifting or mathematical gifting or whatever the different type of gift would be. You know what we call those in English? Talents. (laughs) You know where that word comes from? Right here. I found that kind of surprising. That's where the English word talent arose. The meaning that we currently use for it comes from the context of this parable because the church so influenced the culture as to say, well, see, Jesus gives these talents and they knew it meant money, but that refers to all the kind of gifts he gives to his people. And so talents took on the meaning of gifts that we have, all right? So it means the kind of gifts that we have, but included in those, and maybe something you wouldn't think of, would be the gift of time and opportunity to use those things. So those are are gifts from the Lord. So you have a musical gifting. That's that's kind of a talent. But you have the opportunity to use that for God's glory. That's another talent, another gift that he's given to you. So these are things that the Lord gives to his people. And what's interesting is that he doesn't give the same talents or the same amount of talents to each of his people. His servants are apparently different. I know. Shocking, right? Don't look around the room. His servants are different from each other. We're each designed differently. And it says very specifically in verse 15, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Friend, the parable begins on the very solid footing of the sovereignty of God, where God designs his people. God makes God-level decisions and decides that one will have a different capacity than another, a different level of ability than another. And then he grants different talents to different people. 
And so this is the giving of these talents. I, I'm encouraged by this because when we see that he gives to each according to his ability, that means he knows his sheep. He knows your strengths and weaknesses. He knows what gifts to give to you that you could turn and use best for him. He knows what gifts not to give to you in his wisdom as well. Wise and good God. Number one was the giving. Number two, the investing. The investing. So now we move to the part of the parable where the master goes away. And it says he was delayed for a long time. All three of the parables that we've been talking about have that in there. There are different parables talking about different things. One was the the wedding feast. Remember that from, from last week? And the bridegroom had a long delay before he could return. So again, we just see the the reality that while we don't know the day or the time, we should expect a delay. And I think 2,000 years qualifies. Come, Lord Jesus. I think, I think we're good. But that is certainly in the Lord's hands as to his timing. But while he is gone, the servants get to work. At least two of them get to work. Verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents. This, friends, is a picture of godly discipleship. Of what the Christian life is meant to look like. Of what it means ultimately to be prepared. To be living in such a way that we are prepared. He went at once and traded with them. He went not slowly, not reluctantly, not sluggishly. He went at once with eagerness with boldness, with a sense of anticipation as to the profit that could be earned for the sake of the king, the sake of the kingdom, through his enterprise and his thoughts and his ideas. He made use of the talents that the Lord gave him. So it was with the one who was given five, so it was with the one given two. This is very much juxtaposed to the one who was given one who simply goes and buries it in the ground, fails to use it under the idea of just keeping it safe. I think it is instructive that this parable is about financial investing. It's a a financial investment kind of picture where these are given capital, $5 million of capital to go out and do something with to get a return from. And so they get about doing this kind of investing. Now, if your goal in investing, and this can be a good goal in investing, if your goal in investing is to keep the principal at all costs and not make a profit, you just don't want to lose it, then I think the guy who had won had a pretty sound strategy. Go bury it in the ground. Or as it used to be, hide it under the mattress. Right? And you can more or less guarantee it will be there when you go dig it out again. That is a safe strategy to keep the principle. But that's not what the two faithful servants did. They didn't prioritize the safety of the capital. They put it to risk and they put it to work. You do know, right? Like um, this is not an investment seminar. 
I'm not giving anything away. Investment involves risk every time. If there's no risk, there's no investment. <laughs> and generally, the greater the risk, the higher the possibility, you know, possible return as well. There's always this level of risk kind of thing. And what we see with two of them is a glad willingness to assume that risk, an eagerness to take risk with what had been given to them. Friend, our Lord calls us to risk. Risk is a part of what you are called to as a disciple. Following Jesus is risky. It will cost you something. In terms of this world, in terms of the profit that you might expect in this world, following Christ is risky. Disciples, some of them called missionaries, move their families all over the world to hostile locations. Why? That is very risky. Some believers move their families even within the U.S. to help plant a church, start a church. There are some in this room who did that so that this church could exist. Giving up jobs and moving from place to place, that's risk for the kingdom of God. Some gladly give away money, money that they worked for, that they earned, that could be put aside for this or for that or for the other, thi uh, the other thing, and they instead decide to invest it into the kingdom of God, sowing it into the mission of God. There are, there are other believers that, that go about and they, they evangelize. They tell others about Christ. Jack was telling us a story this morning in Sunday school about an opportunity the Lord gave him to take time and talk to this person. But evangelism itself can be a, a risky thing. It's seldom easy or convenient. It's often not popular. It's often not career-enhancing. And in many places, it's illegal. God's people are called to love those who hate them, to turn the other cheek, to forgive, to love not our lives unto death, to look not only for our own interests, but also to the interests of others. In short, we're called to pattern our life after Christ. And let's just say his life was risky from a worldly perspective. I think safety is one of the idols of our age. And it doesn't often get addressed in the church, but it can be an idol even within the church. You know, God wants us safe. Is that right? There's an element of discipleship that calls us to risk. Following Je Let me just say it really clearly. Following Jesus is not safe. You're looking for safety? You got to look elsewhere. He kind of, you could pick it up when he says, uh, come after me, follow me, and take up your cross. Now, crosses are not safe. They're the opposite of safe. Take up your cross and follow me. One of the commentators said it very well when he said this, risk 
is at the heart of discipleship. Risk is at the heart of discipleship. I take that to mean that if you're looking at a Christian's life through a worldly lens, the non-believers looking at your life, there should be things in your life that don't make sense, that just are unexplained. Why are you doing that? Why are you giving that away? Why are you spending all your time over here? Why are you prioritizing that? Why are you helping that person? Why are you forgiving them? There should be a whole lot of unanswered why kind of questions that the world would, would look at a Christian's life and just, without a kingdom perspective, it makes no sense. Why live so risky? It's risky, but it's also industrious. He went away at once and got to work. This guy got off the couch and got busy. This lady got to move on, got to hustle going, figured out what to, what to do with the talents that were given and got about doing it. I think this is how many in this room think about discipleship. I want to encourage you and challenge us at the same time. A disciple sees, you know, $500 to give, let's say. And they don't just think, wow, you know what? If I give this $500, I won't have $500. Well, that is true. That's the risk. That's the cost involved in discipleship. But the disciple sees past that to the the kingdom profit that can be earned through this. First, it starts very close at home. If I give this $500, it's going to move my heart towards the kingdom. As it says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Lord, I believe that, and I want my heart more in the kingdom. I'm going to give my dollars to the kingdom so that I can grow a heart for it. But also, Lord, if I give this $500, perhaps that missionary family can stay on the field and be well cared for just a little bit longer. Perhaps that missionary family, because of their work in five years or 10 years or 20 years in a place where there's no church, there'll be a church, a witness to Christ that perhaps will will evangelize that area for generations to come. $500, are you kidding? Yes, let's go. Look at that profit that could be right there. I think this informs the parenting of many in this room. Parenting is hard for everybody. But a disciple looks at the, the challenges, midnight feedings of infants, midnight conversations with teens, whatever it is. Says, okay, yep, this is hard. But Lord, would you work in these kids? Draw these kids to you? One day, these, maybe, they'll, maybe they'll be following after you. Maybe, you know, the, the psalm says that they're, they're like arrows shot from the hand of a warrior, right? They're going to go to places I'll never go. Talk to people I'll never see. Proclaim Christ where I'll never be. Let me get after it, Lord, then. Let me risk, let me sacrifice for the sake of that. That's what the children's ministry workers in the back right now are doing. I'm going to miss church today. 
so that I can minister to these kids. And many of you do that other weeks. Probably most of you do that other weeks. It takes a lot of people. And those who do, do so because of the kingdom prophet that you can see. Lord, draw these kids after you. Let this be the next generation of believers that grows up and takes leadership in the church one day and, and witnesses the gospel to their generation in whatever situation that looks like. Worship team members that practice and prepare and get ready so that we can all worship and they can see it. And they want us to be able to come in and worship Christ undistracted. And so they invest and they risk. And then our, our deacons of care, our deacons of administration, leading the way in serving. I praise God. I thank God for all of you. My prayer, as we study his word together, is that he continues to cultivate that, indu that industry in us, that risk-taking, self-sacrificing industry for the sake of him and his kingdom. All right, third and final point. We talked about the giving, the investing, and now number three, the accounting. The accounting. Well, the wicked servant played it safe. He kept what the master gave him. He didn't lose it. He took good care of it. He returned it to the master. And the master calls that wickedness. Slothfulness. Those who take what the Lord gives them and do not invest it into the kingdom and don't live after Christ will be held to account on that day. He was trying to play it safe. He was trying to keep what he had. But one of the side lessons in here is that pursuing safety is not safe. Those who seek to find their lives will lose it. But those who, for the sake of Christ, lay down their lives will find it. It's kingdom-minded risk-taking. The accounting for the other two servants is quite different than that one. And I want us to look at the similarities between their two stories. So I'm going to read in verse 20 and 21 about the one who was given five and then the one who was given two. Let's look at the similarities. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And now the two. He who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, you might have been looking for the differences between those sets of verses. The differences are five and two. And that is it. Every other word of those verses are the same. We have different servants with different abilities who made different profits. 
And yet, our Lord's words to them are identical, are precisely the same. He gave, gives as much as encouragement to the one who made two as he did to the one who made five. He gives the same welcome. You've been faithful over little, I'll set you over much. To the two that he gave to the one over five. He says, enter into the joy of your master for the one who was only given two and to the one who was given five. Why? Why does he do this? Because the Lord rewards his servants, not on the basis of their ability, but on the basis of their faithfulness. He rewards them both because both have been faithful. Both invested, both doubled what they were given. Both were faithful to him. And so he rewards them both. You know what this means? It means we should stop comparing ourselves with others. Because the master doesn't do that. Two very different servants. He does not ask the one with two, why didn't you bring back five? Or the one with five, some question about the other. He deals with each servant eye to eye. And he knows what he gave you. He knows what he gave. And he knows what you're bringing back to him. Our dealing and accounting is with the Lord alone. And if the Lord doesn't compare his servants, and he doesn't, then neither should we. It is so easy to fall into jealousy in a kingdom where the servants are different. But our God is sovereign, and he assigned our boundaries. And if if you know him to be good, and you know him to be wise, and you know him to be sovereign, then here's what that means. It means if you need it, you have it. And if you don't have it, he knows you need to not have it. He is wise. He is wise in his distribution of gifts and abilities and talents and opportunities and all of those things. And ours, we would be wise to take our eyes off each other and fix them on him, the only one to whom we will give account on that day. I want us to focus now kind of at the end here um, at the reward that the Lord gives to his people because I am amazed at this reward. It was kind of a business thing going on in this parable, investments and whatnot, until we get to the reward. And then the parable kind of gives way to the future and to the last day and to what we may anticipate our Lord himself saying. Verse 21, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done? Well done. 
good and faithful servant. From the lips of the one who knows my sin. From the lips of the one who took my sin and was punished for my sin. Well done. This is grace upon grace upon grace. Not only that, but he's the one that empowers. He gave me the talents to start with. He gives you the talents to start with. He empowers us to use them. Then he turns around and says to us, well done. That's called grace. And those precious words are the words that the disciple longs to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. But he doesn't stop there, though perhaps he may have. And I don't know when the last time you were encouraged by somebody that was distinctly over you. Maybe your dad after a baseball game or maybe a boss that you respect after you, know, you did something good at work. But somebody that you looked up to took time to encourage. That is meaningful. What is it to have the King of Kings commend you? We could say it's enough, but for him it's not. He's not done. He says this next, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Now, first of all, I find it kind of amazing that having given $5 million, he calls that a little. Like, whoa! But that's the point. Regardless of what we've been given and stewarded here, it will be little in comparison to what he puts before his servants for eternity. The reward for discipleship is not retirement. It's further employment in the service of the king. And that's good news. Now listen, you might be thinking that's not good news because you don't much like work. And I'm with you. I get that. All right? But, let, but from a biblical perspective, work came first, then sin. All right? So they were given the garden to work and till it. There was the naming of the animals. There was all kinds of work to do. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. And then sin came in and ruined everything, all right? And there was the curse given directly at work of the thorns in the ground, saying that from now on, work's going to, mm, mm, you know, you know, you've had to go to work. You know what I'm talking about, where it doesn't matter if you're a gardener or not. You know what the thorns are in your area of work, right? So work is in itself under the curse, but work is not itself wrong or cursed. One day, the Lord's going to redeem work. And we're going to get to work and serve Him in ways, and I think you've tasted this at times. You ever you find that satisfaction in a job really well done? Just like, mm, look, I did that. Look what I got done. Look, look at that. You've got this thing to show for it, or this person that was ministered to, or this house that was built, or the contract was finally signed, or whatever it was. Yes! Imagine that in the presence of your king with no more sin, no more shame, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more thorns getting to serve him. Friend, I don't know what you think about heaven, 
But whatever it is, it's too little. All right? Both you don't think about it enough, but also our thoughts of it are too low. Um, heaven is not a place where we just kind of go and evaporate. <laughs> you know? Kind of on a cloud, I guess I'll learn the harp. You know? There is an active engagement in the service of the king that we get to look forward to. And whatever we can imagine about it, all I can say is that our imagination is insufficient to capture what that's going to be like to serve our Lord directly, to see the purposes of God advance. Yes, advance, even in that final age. The stunning reality is the scripture says words that I would be afraid to say if I didn't take them from scripture, that we will reign with Christ. What? Sharing in his victory and extending his rule over creation. What a day that will be. We're preparing for that day. Well, we're faithful over a little now. Looking forward to the day when we can serve him with energy unbounded, with no depression, no anxiety, no difficulty, no sin entangling and serving him with gladness. And I think at that point, he could have ended it again with the well done, and boy, do I have great plans for you. But he doesn't, and he saves the best for last. Enter into the joy of your master. Up to now, it seemed like servants kind of doing what servants do. There's the master doing what masters do. And then he like invites them to his table and welcomes them into his fellowship. Come on in. Here's what it says. Experience the happiness of God. Whoa, that's a big phrase in this little parable. Welcome into the joy of your master. That is, the happiness, blessedness, joy of the Trinity itself. You, come on into that. That is a reward. That is the reward. Beyond all other rewards, that we could live in the presence of God, experiencing the joy of God for all time. What a generous king this is. Generous master we serve. I want to highlight his generosity. I think we have by looking at the reward he pictured. But I want to, I want to ask you a question and think back in your mind. You know, those, you know those like sleight of hand things where they put the ball under the cup? Then they like move the cup around? And you got to like know where the ball is. All right. So at the end of the parable, who has the money? Who has? The guy had five talents. You know, got 10 more. So let's trace the money. See if we can follow the hand. All right. Trace the money. Starts with Jesus. He gives the, the guy the five talents. Right. Guy has them. We know where it is. He goes, he makes five more. Now there's 10. He has them. Then he comes before the Lord. Says, here, I had five 
I made five more for you. Gives them to the Lord. The Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we say, aha, I know where it is. God has them. And we lift up the cup. And there's nothing there. Because of verse 28, which is talking about the punishment of the wicked. But listen to what it says. Take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. So apparently, at the end of the day, the one who had earned those ten to give them to the Lord ends up with them anyway. This is the remarkable generosity of God. This, this speaks to the reality that you can work for him, but you will not outwork him. You can give to him, but you will not outgive him. You can sacrifice for him, but you will never out-sacrifice him. And in the end, all that you have ever given, all that you have ever sacrificed, all that you risked and lost or invested and parted with, the silent service, the quiet giving, the unseen sacrifice, all of it will somehow make its way back to blessing you. Huh. At the end of the day, all of it will give glory to the king. And all of it will result in a blessing back to you as well. Friend, let's just say this is a master worth serving. All that we could ever give to him somehow ends up being a blessing back to us. And the wise servant sees his master that way. And if you want to know the difference in the servants, that's really where it is. How do they see their master? That's the whole difference. How does the wicked servant see the master? I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow, gathering where you hadn't scattered. So I went and hid this. And so he lived according to the view of God that he had, and he was judged according to that as well. But the believer knows, the wise servant knows, the Christ follower knows that the master is good and generous. That no matter what he calls you to suffer, he will reward you adequately in the end. No matter what waters he he calls you to walk through, he will bring it all back to you at the end. That there is great risk in this life in following Christ, but none at all in the next. Because he can keep all that we give to him just fine and will deliver it back to us as blessing in that last day. So friends, let's serve that king together. Let's be about serving this generous and good and wondrous God that we have. We can rely on his mercy. We're going to have to do that. Rely on his mercy and anticipate his reward. Praise God we get to anticipate. You know that's why he gave this, right? So that we can anticipate his reward and live in light of that. He means to motivate us that way by knowing his goodness. I want us to end this morning by singing to this generous king, this one who we can trust 
in every sacrifice and every risk and every difficulty that we're walking through, we can anticipate seeing him on that day. So let's stand together. Sing to the Lord one more song together.